Hello and welcome to the Monarch Human Performance Podcast. I'm your host, John Sillis. On this show, we aim to interview leaders from a range of performance disciplines within the tactical performance space to help you improve performance at the individual and organizational level. Now, if this is your first time listening, welcome to the show, guys. You'll notice we don't run any ads here, but we do ask for you to pay a simple and small fee. And that fee is this. If you find value in the show, I'm pretty confident in the arcs we have some incredible guests each week, then please share the show. You know, if you're chatting with friends and colleagues about education and development, please recommend us. As I said, you know, we don't run ads here and we continue to grow organically through you, the listener. So please spread the word and help us get this information out to a lot more people. Now, in this week's episode, I sit down and chat to Chris Frankel. Chris is the head of performance at Beaver Fit USA, the leaders in outdoor fitness solutions. Chris is focused on building upon Beaver Fit's success in the military, creating durable, effective outdoor training solutions, and to continue applying lessons from his career to optimize equipment design and performance training for commercial facilities and end users of all kinds. Chris earned his doctorate in health, exercise, and sports science from the University of New Mexico, and has developed and delivered evidence-based fitness education worldwide. In this episode, me and Chris chat about his journey through coaching, academia, and education, his role at Beaver Fit USA, and creating a learning environment in coaching. Good afternoon, Chris, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. Looking forward to it. No problem, Chris. Thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule, mate. I know you're a busy guy, so I always appreciate you guys taking time out to sit down and just chat with me. No, a lot of fun. This is, uh, this is sometimes the best part of the job. Definitely, man. Definitely. Uh, obviously, Chris, like, you know, I've read up a bit on you. I've seen you on some other podcasts as well, and we've had a chance to chat. For anyone who hasn't come across you and the work you're doing, Chris, can you just give us a bit of a background of where your career started out and you know, where you're currently at? Sure. Um, career started out, depending on how far back you want to go. I, I still consider my first, uh, my first coaching job was in 1979. So pretty much nonstop since then. Uh, I've been in some form of coaching, strength and conditioning, human performance, exercise science. Uh, did a lot of coaching uh, back east, Washington, D.C. Uh, got to really get exposed to this whole concept of strength and conditioning because a good buddy of mine, I went to elementary school, his dad, uh, this guy named Bobby Mitchell, who was uh, NFL, uh, U.S. football, Hall of Fame, played in the backfield with uh, Jim Brown okay. uh, and went on to work uh, with the Redskins, Washington Redskins organization. And so during the summer, during college, uh, he clearly had all the genetics. He went on and played uh, football at Stanford. I went on and played at a little Division three school. But during, during the summers, we'd go out to Redskin Park uh, and we'd throw the ball around, but we got into the, uh, to the weight room. And at the time, there's a guy named Dan Riley at the Redskins who was considered one of the fathers of HIT with a single eye, high intensity training. Mm-hmm. So that was really my first exposure to this whole idea of strength and conditioning. So that really got me rolling, being around great coaches. Uh, there was a basketball coach in Washington, D.C. named Eddie Saw, who probably taught me more about how to organize a practice and how to interact with athletes than anybody else uh, throw forward a few years, moved to Los Angeles, uh, got to be around a guy named Bob Ticano, who's a uh, Olympic weightlifting coach, mm-hmm. uh, another one of the legends in the field. And once again, just, just took a course with him uh, and then spent a little time around him and just started soaking in, you know, all these different aspects of performance, strength and conditioning. You know, they didn't call it 
cognitive science or sports psychology back there. It was just like, hey, how do you manage groups of people? How do you start to motivate people? How do you start to, you know, put programs together to address all those things? Uh, fast forward and ended up moving to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, went back to school. Uh, so on a whole other podcast, we could talk about why it took me 22 years to finish a doctorate. But uh, did my started doing my graduate work there, um, worked in the exercise phys lab there. So kind of brought this applied coaching, really gym rat mentality to um, exercise and sports science. And the program over there is pretty rigorous, very physiology based. And um, I, I, uh, I probably learned more about how to put my ego aside and be the dumbest person in the room, which may be the best lesson I've learned in human performance across the board. Uh, from there, met a couple of folks, spent a few years out on the PGA Tour as a strength coach, um, knew nothing about golf, had never played a sober round of golf in my life, uh, but then got to see everything around golf. So now it's how do you, how do you kind of move from my background, which was really uh, American football, basketball, track and field to a much more finesse sport and a much more skill sport uh, and this whole idea of traveling and, and a different kind of endurance. Uh, sped forward a little bit, spent some more time teaching high school uh, and then was an instructor of record at University of New Mexico in the exercise science department. Uh, and then went into the uh, commercial side of the, of the industry, worked at TRX for 13 years where I helped stand up some of the training and education and R&D over there. And during my time there, I met the guys that ended up becoming the founders of BeaverFit USA. And uh, they took a chance on me and said, hey, we're gonna kind of approach this whole human performance industry on the tactical side, bringing in you know, subject matter expert uh, on the science side, on the coaching side, and see how we can best enable the customers to be able to use the products. Um, so it's been super interesting to get where I am today. And every, uh, every year, honestly, has become a new challenge for me. But I'd say this, this last you know, eight or nine months at BeaverFit has been a great challenge because it's how do you take all this, all this science that sometimes is very theoretical and how do you really make it applied to not only, you know, not so much product development, but how do you bring uh, the products to turn into capabilities, qualities and skill development on the tactical side of the house from uh, a coaching and human performance side. So that's probably a shorter version of, of where I've come from, but uh, it's been a blast getting here. That's awesome, dude. I mean, in terms of diversity of just application to multiple levels there, that is uh, some career profile, dude, going right say from you know, coaching at SNC, academia, collegiate level, high school level as well, and then on the education side as well. That's pretty solid uh, background to have, dude, as well. Um, I just want to unpick that a little bit. So <clears throat> you said, obviously, you started to fall down the strength conditioning route as well with regards to your football once you're in the uh, college sort of level playing. Um, you know, did you go directly into coaching, you were saying, before you went to academia or did you go to academia first, you know, at New Mexico and then make that transition into face-to-face -face coaching? No, I spent a lot of time in coaching. I, I left, uh, I left my, uh, my college in uh, 84, yeah, in 84 uh, and went back to coaching. And uh, one, the fact I'm, an, uh, I'm a PhD and considered an academic and two, 
the fact that I have these science conversations is relatively funny for anybody who knew me in high school and college because academia was not my strong suit. I mean, uh, in college, my, my nickname was literally Willard and it was probably before your time. Willard was a, a movie about a rat because okay. I was a gym rat. I was in the gym the entire time. Um, so I left college having, having not finished my undergrad degree in classical political philosophy and sociology uh, and went back to DC and, and just started coaching. And I coached for probably seven or eight years at the high school level. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until the late 90s that, um, I'm sorry, the early 90s, I, I headed to uh, New Mexico and got into the academic side of things over there. And it's that kind of background made it sort of interesting. I've always been, uh, if I were to look at myself from the outside, I think how other people I've worked with, I've been a little bit too academic to be fully pulled into the coaching side of the industry. And I've been a little bit too raw in coaching to be full pulled into the academic side of the industry. So I'm kind of this mutt that sits in the middle of both places where uh, I like to just, you know, poke the bear on both sides of those things. But yeah, definitely spent way more time coaching uh, boots on the ground, both uh, skill coach, uh, sport coach and strength conditioning coach before I went back to academia. Nice one, nice. And I mean, obviously going to academia and getting a PhD, regardless of time span that you're saying there, Stephen, it's, it's still a beast of a project to get through and get that done, dust mate. So, you know, well done to you for seeing through as well. Thanks very much. No worries, man. So obviously, um, that time in academia as well. How did you find your coaching experiences parlayed into that as well, going into and just having that background knowledge of applied exercise science and then backing up with more of the academic side of things? I mean, honestly, it was it was great. I would uh, I would never recommend my route uh, to most people. One, because it took too long. Two, it was relatively expensive. But it was um, it was great to sit in classrooms with uh, honestly a lot of folks that were frustrated doctors that for for whatever reason didn't make it into medical school, um, and they uh, they ended up in exercise science or exercise phys, and then planning on going into cardiac rehab or physical therapy or going on to teach. Um, and, you know, I, I, hate to, I hate to paint with such a broad brush. I, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in D.C. Uh, I grew up in a great area of D.C., but D.C. was kind of rough when I grew up. And uh, I, I always had a chip on my shoulder. So sitting in these classrooms where, you know, my background was social science and everybody else had gone through calculus and physics and everybody kind of looked at me like, oh, you know, here's this muscle head sitting in the classroom you know, they weren't rude, but they weren't not rude. Okay. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's how it's going to be. I'm going to have to beat you at your own game, but come at it a different way. So we're having these great theoretical conversations and then had some brilliant professors that could break it down to, hey, what happens when you get in front of a, a client or an athlete? You know, and so that's where I was really be able to kind of shine in that area. Um, and kind of similar to my coaching experience, I was able to at uh, get around just great instructors and, and just try to soak it up from there. But being able to, and, and it's interesting now uh, in the industry, especially as we start to get these really well-educated, smart, young sports scientists coming out with a ton of uh, scientific tools and background, but maybe not a lot of coaching experience. And then on the other side, at the typical university, I've yet to come across a university where the exercise science department and the athletic department or strength conditioning department work well together. 
it's it seems to be the um the propeller head phds like me look at the strength coaches and go ah they don't know anything about science and the strength coaches uh or sport coaches look at the academics and go they don't know anything about you know working with real people in the real world and honestly they both have points mm -hmm. so it was, it's, it's kind of it was kind of interesting for me to meld that gap back in the day and i'm starting to see that happen starting to see that happen now with uh, not just the level of education sports scientists are coming out of uh, undergrad and graduate programs, but just the availability of information uh, on, the, uh, on the internet clearly and the availability of really bad information on the internet as well. So it's, I think it's a good time to be um, kind of this uh, young soul in an old body to try and put perspective on both ends. Definitely, I mean, from my perspective, going through my undergrad in the sports sciences and to where they're at now, it's, it's radically different. When I went through, it was very much just purely academic, so stuff we were taught. And I was very lucky. I was working as a strength coach at, during my time as well. And I was able to apply stuff and see things, you know, how uh, real world application. Whereas a lot of uh, my classmates, you know, were very much, okay, if textbook says this or teacher says this this is how it works. And this is like, yeah, it's great from an academic standpoint, but in the real world, you just can't run it like that because it just doesn't fit, you know? And that's right. More, and more guys are coming from the applied set and into academia now and bringing that knowledge with them, which is great to see as well. Yeah, the better, the more we can just get, uh, I'm sure it's not just our industry, but in our industry, the more we can get folks who are willing to, to put down their egos and not uh, not worry about their tribe allegiance mm -hmm. and have open conversations about, hey, look, at, at the end of the day, uh, sciences are, is, uh, especially human performance science, it's a working model. And uh, there was a famous statistician named Box who said, all models are wrong. Some are more useful than others. Let's just figure out, you know, hey, what's working for you? What's working for me? What are the commonalities on there? Yeah. Uh, and then how do we move forward together? I think that's a... Um, that that's something that we're going to have to see happen better as we as we move forward. But yeah, I couldn't agree more. Definitely, man. Definitely. And obviously, you're saying after New Mexico, you're working within PGA Tour stuff as well, and then the opportunity for TRX came about. So can you just talk to us a little bit? How did that pop up for you? Yeah, it was um, both me getting out on the PGA Tour was uh, was a stroke of luck, and then TRX was a stroke of luck. I was working in the human performance lab at the University of New Mexico. A uh, PGA golfer named Noda Begay came in uh, to do some testing. We hit it off really well. Noda's just a, an amazing human being, and he was having back problems at the time. And uh, after we did his testing, I said, hey, show me what they have you doing out there to try and fix your back. And he showed me. And, uh, because I'm very unfiltered, I said, wow, that's terrible. I'm surprised you're not in worse shape. <laughs> and so I showed him a few things. And like two weeks later, he called me up and said, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like you to go out on tour with me. And uh, so I did, and that was a that was a great that was a great experience. And then it turns out uh, Noda's manager had gone to Stanford, and one of his classmates he ran into them at the line at a grocery store, and they were working at TRX, and they handed him a, a, a strap and said, "Hey, give this to your trainer, see what he thinks." Got it. We started messing around with it, liked it. A few years later, uh, I saw a posting for a job opening over there. Went over there and. Uh, it was just getting off the ground. I think the business had been up and running maybe two years. Uh, and I got in there and it was, um, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, it was kind of this, 
this place of having to, uh, this sounds worse than it actually is, but it's probably the best way for me to say it, finding a way to monetize knowledge and science uh, in such a way that uh, now, similar to coaching, now it doesn't matter, I forget who I stole this from, it doesn't matter how much you know, it's only how much you can teach that counts, or it doesn't matter how much you know, it's only how much you can coach that counts. Doesn't matter how much you know, it's really how you can apply it to a particular situation in a group of people. So we just focused on how do you take um, basically a pair of uh, tie down strap with the handle on it and bring it to life into this whole fitness and strength and conditioning world. And, uh, and that was a blast. And once again, got to connect with some great folks. There's a guy over there still who was one of the few guys who was there before me, a guy named Tim Burke who uh, I affectionately call the rain man of college and pro sports because he knows every strength and conditioning coach everywhere and position coach everywhere. So we, we get to, uh, we get to roll into these, uh, to these pro and college strength rooms. Uh, and basically they throw me out there and uh, I'd make the case for not why you need this product, but I mean, this was kind of the pitch was, Hey, if you're doing something for core and you're doing something for mobility, and there's a way to kind of combine those two things and a thing that doesn't take up a whole lot of space. Uh, and that caught on. And then we built a, a curriculum around, around solving, solving movement problems in a unique training environment. So I was really able to bring not only strength and conditioning, but at the University of New Mexico, you get a lot of, um, you get a lot of work at that time around uh, educational psychology, which is where we picked up a lot of, a lot of our statistics. So how to create a learning environment in a classroom, uh, which I kind of adapted to this whole coaching idea of, you know, I'd say to me, but I'm sure to a lot of people, coaching is more about creating an environment where the athletes can learn and teach each other, as opposed to this whole idea of one expert trying to teach down to you, where that's a component of it. There's a leadership component in there, but it's really about creating the environment where people can learn and people can adapt along those ways. And then it just became a, a process of, uh, at TRX, how do you take a specific tool and create that environment? And now at, uh, at BeaverFit, it's like, man, how do you take uh, everything from a, you know, an individual piece of equipment, uh, whether it's a specifically designed kettlebell like we did with our Grayman gear series, all the way up to a huge you know, 24,000 square foot facility that we can literally build from the ground up and have these conversations of, Hey, the physical structure that people are going to train in, whether it's indoor or outdoor with these lockers, is going to start to dictate the environment that people are training in. So now instead of having product conversations, it's like, hey, how many people are you training? What's the throughput? Where are they in the pipeline? Are they a recruit? Are they a professional warfighter? Mm -hmm. uh, what are their incoming traits? What do you want their outgoing traits to be? And then how do we take you know, the basics of you know, racks, barbells, and make, you know, really world-class training available where it's traditionally been in a uh, strength and conditioning facility. But more importantly, how do you get outside those walls and, and deliver this training in places that hasn't been uh, available before? So that's kind of how all those dots connected across the board. That's cool. And I know, obviously, you're saying you stood up the program at TRX with regards to just the, the training and education side of things at the house and obviously at Beaver Fit now as well. They're playing a big role in that. Given your background in coaching and then from the high school education side and then your time in New Mexico, how have you found that process of actually just building the curriculum from scratch and just, you know, getting that rolled out? Um, 
it's a it's a love hate relationship. Okay. It's um <laughs> the um clearly anybody who's into the the coaching side, the human performance side, uh, they love they love coaching. Mm-hmm. They love teaching. They love uh, being in that group. They love the vibe of all the people you're around. Uh, but there's so many different layers when you're trying to build a a, a curriculum. Uh, especially in our industry, there's like several layers. So if you're, you're building, you initially start by building a curriculum for other professionals. So whether it's um, a company that has a product and they're trying to develop their master instructors who will go out and coach other people, that's one level of the curriculum, but you have to build that level of curriculum, knowing that whoever you're teaching there, they're going to turn around and teach somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so now as we start to look in kind of the tactical world on the military side of the first responder side, we end up teaching master fitness instructors or people that play in those roles, knowing that they're going to turn around and teach another level down of uh, leaders who are going to go back and then teach to other folks on there. So there's really three levels of teaching on there. So there's no longer kind of this I don't want to call it simple, but it is an easier approach when I was at the university or when I was teaching high school, where I set one curriculum where I'm going in and I'm teaching the students. And then it's really kind of developing that framework of where they can learn. But now you got to build a curriculum where you're teaching teachers or you're coaching coaches to coach coaches to coach end users. Uh, And that's super fun, really challenging, uh, and can also turn into a disaster really fast. So love it. It's a, it's, it, it's a great challenge. And, uh, and that's kind of the, um, the challenge we're seeing really across all, you know, tactical athletes is the, uh, we're starting to see a, a great idea kind of set initially set up kind of what they call the POTIF model over here, preservation of force and families, where they started to realize, Hey, the, um, the individual warfighter you know, is the, uh, the, the Air Force really coined this, coined this phrase, I think back around 2009, uh, the human weapon system. Hey, we're used to thinking of, you know, an individual weapon or a ship or an airplane as a weapon system, but now starting to identify the individual warfighter as a weapon system that needs competent and disciplined development and maintenance, you know, in the physical domain, in the cognitive domain, in nutrition, how do you manage sleep? How do you manage pain? How do you manage all these things? And then, uh, how do we pick a lane? And so Beaver Fit, we've clearly picked this lane, primarily focusing on the physical side of it. Uh, and then we look at our customers, whether it be Army, Air Force, Marine Corps. We also, you know, the, the fastest growing side of our business now is the commercial side where we have general fitness. Uh, and there's a lot of similarities in there because how do we now be able to not talk about selling a product, but being able to sell an environment where you're solving the problems of people that are coming to you and your coaches that are going out to deliver to the end user clearly they're all not going to be phd a lot of times they're not going to be master's levels sometimes that's good sometimes that's bad but how do you give them enough information to be effective at what they're doing now but also enough of a foundation to grow as this whole concept of a tactical athlete continues to uh continues to develop and uh, we, we are, we're now positioning ourselves not to be setting up strength and conditioning facilities on the DOD side of things. You know, our whole mindset is, hey, we're developing 
maintenance facilities for the human weapon system. And that you know, starts from the basics of uh, weights and racks to technology integration, but to facility design that starts to say, hey, what's the flow? How many people are coming in? How many times are they gonna be in a zone? Uh, how many, what's the throughput you need to get through there? So once again, on this really grand scale, how do we create a training environment that encourages the end user to be really effective in getting a good training session in there, but also lets the coaches in there have good line of sight to everybody, have a place to uh, be able to brief up a workout and be able to teach on there. And that's, that's kind of curriculum development and the hard good side and then curriculum development as we start to collaborate with some of our partners on, you know, how are we starting to build in the programming and education side as well? Long answer. Sorry. I've warned you about that one before we got on. I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear just that logistical side, as you say, for guys setting up these uh, performance centers as well. Like you say, that flow, what's the, the footprint of each individual and how much can you pack into that space as well without over, you know, saturating it as well. Um, and with regards to the kit, what I've seen from BeaverFit so far from both, you know, the human performance side of the house as well as the um, operational equipment side of the house as well. It's just, it's a beautiful like synchronization of the two, I'd say from there and just flow in quite nicely for any tactical environment. For the, the training side of the things though, for the guys, <clears throat> you're saying obviously it's more of a peer fitness model you guys are doing with some of these guys. So how are you, how are you deploying that for these guys? Is it a certain number of contacts? Is it a mixture like blended learning of online and face-to-face -face, or what, what's that model look like for your guys? Interesting because we're just now in the early stages of, of setting that up in terms of both an internal education and training for our, our, um, our sales and marketing teams to be able to kind of have, and this is really from you know, top down and Alex and Mike, hey, we want to be known for this brutal attack of customer service, meaning, hey, let's go in and, and let's figure out exactly what each individual customer needs. Um, where product is really the second or third thing in the conversation and, you know, their, their core competencies and their pain points, uh, whether it's subject matter expertise or flow, or, you know, most of the time we just realize it's a space consideration where, you know, they're either having to take a, uh, an old, uh, DFAC or an old, uh, mechanics bay and turn it into a strain of conditioning. But now what we're really seeing and, and really where the lockers took place was, hey, you can take your training outside. Uh, so now you don't, not only do you not need a footprint, but kind of borrowing something that we started to see at professional sports happen. When you have your strength and conditioning facility right next to your playing field, it opens up these different programming models of you know strength and then explosive stuff and then skill development. Um, and so as we stand up both our internal and then eventually our external education and training component, it's really going to be um, not so much structured. Like uh, I, I don't see there, knock on wood, I don't see there being a Beaver Fit University, but I do see the, uh, a lot of strategic partnerships with other education companies that offer certain uh, areas of expertise and then we're either able to help them make their product uh, more effective within the tactical community, or we'll probably stand up at some point 
where we see the gaps are in terms of how to deliver that to the tactical side. Uh, but really, really where we start is like, hey, you know, what, what are the capabilities you're trying to build here? And I kind of, I tend to break them down into like three major buckets. Hey, building qualities, think of components of fitness, building capabilities, you know, either it's MOS or uh, if you're in the sports world, almost like position competencies you need to be. So qualities are almost like GPP. Capabilities are more like SPP. Uh, and then skills are just, you know, where, do, where does your technique and your experience start to trump the physical aspects so we don't start to invade on those things? Yeah. And then this whole concept of, you know, readiness, readiness at the, the tactical level is, you know, how ready are you to go out and take care of business right now? So I, th I think that's where we're going to continue to go is, hey, is this, are we trying to solve problems of, of, uh, of new recruits who we know? On the back end, they're doing a lot of lower intensity, long duration, uh, rucking and you know skill learning. So there's a different kind of training that takes place there as opposed to now your professional warfighter or now your special operations. So it, it's I think what we end up happening is trying to see what problem they're trying to solve, and then we're dropping in, hey, what's your training philosophy? Hey, we can give you some ideas from places we've seen work this way, and. Here's some of the setups we, we've seen to do. That's really interesting. So I was going to ask just what the impact you guys were having on that development pathway for the soldier, you know, from new recruit all the way through to, uh, you know, specialist as well and special operator down the line as well. So that's really interesting here. And I was just saying as well about minimizing footprints for guys. I think when I first came across BeaverFit, I think it was some uh, operational photographs, you know, guys deployed and there was just the box had been dropped off. And I was just like, what a great idea. So you no longer have to try and search something. Everything's just packed and ready for you right there. And you can just take it out and use. That's it. That was it. That's, um, I mean, uh, you know, BeaverFit started in UK. Tom Beaver and his dad were bridge builders. So this whole idea of taking, you know, the the steel and being able to attach it to you know, any kind of box, you know, whether it's the shipping box, conics box, uh, the job box, which we've now taken and kind of evolved into our, you know, version of a gym in a box where you can put a single or double rack on it. But that's really the, the, the solve was the requirement was, hey, how do you put this on a ship or how do you get it deployed downrange or how do you start to and, and then really uh, how do you start to address the fact that people are not getting enough touches on their strength conditioning and readiness training um, almost all the way through the pipeline. So how do we just set up places where uh, you can go train outside, you know, anytime you want, you know, as a group or as an individual. Uh, and now it's clearly grown beyond just the hard goods itself, but from almost, and you know, I like to, I like to describe, you know, my excitement about being a beaver fit is it's, it's this combination of blue collar Pittsburgh, steelworks with um silicon valley apple innovation mm -hmm. uh and how do you bring these these two things together and um so now it's we're evolving what was initially this idea of uh, a box to send down range to keep people fit to hey now how do we create either a space or a product at a location uh, that once again goes back to that concept of coaching that creates an environment where people can you know, get better and, and hone their skills. 
you're saying there about that evolution of just you know helping guys to really hone their skill set as well rather than just supplying them with the kit um, and I know you were saying previously, Chris, you're quite new into the role, but you know, what's, what's your vision of, you know, the future growth within the human performance role at Beaverfit? Oof. Well, hands down the bet, you know, the best thing that's going to, you know, kind of fuel our growth is, uh, is the team over at Beaverfit. Uh, they've just done an amazing job of, of putting folks together where, we really learn off each other. I mean, I, I have, uh, the only, the only military background I have is, uh, from when Alex and Mike, uh, when we were all working together in a previous place, they, they brought me in and taught me the whole tactical side of the business. They understand it from, you know, clearly the operator side. And then, uh, the company I think is like 80, if not more than 80%, you know, veterans. Mm-hmm. So it's great for me to have conversations with everybody about, Hey, what did you do here? How, how does this here? Oh, you know, hey, when uh, you know when you see these ten things on a locker, and they go, yeah, we really only use these three things because we really know how to use them. It's really getting those things better, um, being able to not really care about what's in my head or what's in other supposed subject matter experts' head, but how do we make what people are doing more effective? And then how do we start to add in things that are going to be easy for them to adopt and do? Uh, you know, the three big pillars that, that uh, Beaver Fit, you know, is the HP products, which is where I spend most of my time, the facilities and shelters, and then the SOE, the special operations equipment, where they're doing those rappel towers and uh, spent some time when I first came on going around to different locations around the com- country and seeing those things mm-hmm. and just starting to see, you know, like in professional sports, starting to break down these walls of, hey, this is strength and conditioning. And this is skill development. You know, how do I see? I see the the innovation side for us is bringing those things together, and we're actually already starting to is in the strength conditioning area, bringing in you know skill training environments, whether it's fast roping down, uh, or we actually do subterranean builds. You know, how do you start to put some of the different kind of uh, build up some physiological stress before you go do that and uh, this this kind of melding this holistic approach to human performance, especially on the tactical side, uh, I think is going to be our sweet spot. Which, uh, on the, on a side note, because you know we're standing up such a great business on the commercial side. Uh, a long time ago, I was having a conversation with some uh, some colleagues, and people were saying, "Oh, there's no difference between tactical training and." you know, regular sports training. And I was like, ah, really, you know, rucking is kind of a unique thing. And, you know, having to go from different altitudes and environments is kind of a unique thing. Uh, and, and really being able to spend some time, maybe 30, 40, maybe an hour doing your strength conditioning, but you got to go out and you got to do your other skill training, which is more important. And then a buddy of mine looked at me and said, so what you're saying is the tactical athlete only has a certain amount of time to do their fitness and, and strength and conditioning because they got more important things to do the rest of the day. I said, yeah, he goes, dude, that's everybody on the planet. That's not just the tactical side. He goes, that's, that's me. That's the, that's my wife. Who's the soccer mom. And so we, we take that same kind of mindset to, to everything we do across the, the commercial side and uh, uh, the tactical side. So I, I think we're going to see those two things, both philosophically and product development grow very, very in parallel. Definitely, definitely, man. I mean, it's interesting. I've heard that said before from uh, some other strength coaches of the similarity between sport and the tactical side. And my answer to that is similar to yours, Chris. It's just like, 
when's the last time your athletes had to carry all their equipment and walk to the game? And when did their competition show up at three in the morning to play them? That's right. So. And then when did that game end? And oh yeah, you didn't know you had another game you had to get to another, you know, three kilometers away. So you had to redo it again. So it's, um, you know, those, those are always the fun conversations. Definitely. Those are the ones where, where I get my reputation for dropping a few F-bombs here and there. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant, Chris. Now, obviously, as a guy, you know, lifelong learner, starting your PhD, big into your educational side and teaching side of things as well, Chris. So I'm always keen to ask every guest who comes on just what they're engaged in for their own education and development. So on that, could you give us a book, an app, or a website you personally found useful for them? Um, I'm a big audio book guy. Um, most of my reading is still uh, getting online. Um, I mean, also, obviously the app is ResearchGate. One of the apps I really like is ResearchGate. It just kind of shoots you, you. You put in topics that you're interested in and they shoot you different research articles. So I spend a lot of time, you know, reading research. I'm more of a consumer of research than I am, uh, than I'm conducting research, although I still do some of that. So that's probably the app. Um, the area that I'm most focused on for both personal and professional is really this whole concept of, um, the science of science. And right now it's around statistics and, uh, I mean, no one's going to want to go look this up Bayesian versus frequent frequentists, uh, statistical analysis, but it's really interesting just because what people are looking at is kind of a new way of doing statistical analysis was invented by this guy named Bayes back in the early seven, 1700s. So it's just a different way of thinking, this whole idea of design thinking and statistical thinking. But when I plug in my audiobooks, I try to move away from the uh, human performance side of things. And mm -hmm. uh, this whole idea of, of the psychology, you know, behavioral economics and psychology. So a guy named Daniel Kahneman has a book out called Thinking Fast and Slow, which I found really interesting that I'll probably listened to for the third or fourth time. Uh, and the other one is a little bit older. There's a guy by Nate Silver called The Signal and the Noise, um, which it's, it's, less around, uh, it, it's less around the tools of science, which is individual research, what equipment are you using, what are you testing? And it's more like the practice of science of how are we thinking these things? How do we, how do we take our base rate of what we consider our knowledge now? And how do we with an open mind, accept new information, and then update our thinking and moving forward there. So, you know, people smarter than me have coined the term of, you know, that's actually the act of science. So I'm trying to wrap my head around this, this act of science. And I think I haven't heard it yet, but Brian Green has a book out called Till the End of Time, uh, which is probably gonna be my next one. And uh, from a buddy of mine who's gone through it twice, he said, hey, there's some direct applications uh, to strength and conditioning and teaching. So that's, uh, I, I find that those kind of like really deep, heady books are the perfect thing to listen to when I'm training because I just let them wash over me. Mm -hmm. And then I got a big, uh, I got a big whiteboard in my garage, not for the wad, but for the idea of the day. And if I hear them say something, I'll go write it down. Then I can go back and, and look at it again. Uh, so those are kind of the, the areas I, but dude, you got to remember, I'm, I'm the old dude. I'm the I'm the granddad in the uh, uh, in the industry around here, close to the granddad. So I almost feel like crap. My my head is full. I, I lean into all these young young sports science coming out to teach me some of the 
the tools of the trade. And I try to sit back and pretend I'm a sage and be able to help them move in those directions. But I think you got to come at it from both sides. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, those are some solid recommendations in there as well, Chris. So thank you very much for that, dude. And 100% agree with that on uh, the whole premise of just having the open mindset, you say, the science of it and just looking for things that may be an uncomfortable answer. I always say like nowadays, people don't listen to learn, they listen to, you know, respond more than anything. And I'd say if you're ever going into any debate, most people go into a debate not wanting to be wrong. Whereas if you walk in with the preconceived idea that, look, I'm, I'm willing to accept I could be wrong at this, you'll have a much better discussion. 100%. In fact, I, I used to tell my students this. I used to tell people I do workshops that said, hey, the goal of science isn't to be right. The goal of science is to be less wrong. And you should get a similar excitement about finding out you're wrong as you do finding out you're right. But if you're finding out you're wrong about the same thing over and over again, then you're kind of an idiot and you need to move on to another uh, to another profession. <laughs> uh, I like that, Chris. Chris, honestly, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure again to chat to you, mate. Um, for anyone who has been listening in, either wants to find out a bit more about you, reach out to find out what you're doing at BeaverFit, what's the best way they can do that? Um, honestly, social media is probably the worst. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, C. Frankel, PhD. Uh, is probably the best way to reach me. Uh, but in terms of what I'm doing, in terms of BeaverFit, beaverfitusa.com and graymangear.com, uh, both on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There's the social media side of, side on there as well. And, uh, you know, this whole the whole concept of, you know, the gray man gear, this whole gray man concept, you know, people can go check it out. But that's, that's what I'm really excited about. You know, being at BeaverFit is kind of this guy behind the scenes that, helps everybody else do what they can do best, which is, you know, in some respects, you know, part of the mission of, of BeaverFit is, you know, empowering people to do anything from simple to essential to extraordinary tasks, mm -hmm. but it's not about us, you know, it's about them. How do we, how do we support what you're trying to do? So I keep an eye on all those things and, and we're going to hopefully try and move the industry forward as best we can from our side. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear, Chris. And once again, Chris, thank you so much for your time. It's very much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for thanks for what you're doing. I, I, I love listening as well as uh, being on now. I appreciate that, Chris. Thank you, mate. All right, John. Hi, guys. Really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Monarchy and Performance Podcast. I just wanted to say thank you for your continued support to the show. We're slowly growing each week and getting more and more downloads, which is truly incredible for such a niche-specific podcast. To continue supporting us, can I ask you to do me a simple favor. First of all, subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're using so you can receive each new episode as soon as it's released. Secondly, if you found something educational, if it made you see a different perspective, or if you took something away from this podcast that made you better, please leave us a review as it means a lot to me, and please share the show. This will help us to grow the show and really get this information out to a lot more people.